Welcome to Through the Corporate Glass, a podcast that explores career choices. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode. I am Deepa, your host for today's episode. Organizations invest in cybersecurity to keep their systems and data safe with increasing global connectivity, rising usage of cloud services, digital assets are vulnerable. How does an organization go about defining its enterprise cybersecurity strategy? What are the roles in cybersecurity and what does it take to be successful? We talk about this with John Dunn, VP Cybersecurity at GE Healthcare. He is responsible for defining and implementing the overall cybersecurity strategy for GE Healthcare's enterprise cybersecurity program. In a career spanning over two decades, he has played multiple roles across different functions in the enterprise. He has been the global supply chain IT leader, CIO for US and Canada region for GE Healthcare, IT leader for Salesforce Automation. He is also a board member at United Way of Greater Milwaukee and Waukesha County, a social services organization focused on improving the community by mobilizing people and resources to drive strategic impact in health, education, and financial stability. Hi, John. Welcome to the episode. Hi, Deepa. Great to be here. I'm so excited to have you with us today. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this as well. It should be a good discussion and appreciate you giving me the opportunity to join your podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, you know, let's begin by going back in time to when you started your career journey. What was it like? What was your first job like? Oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, I, I grew up and was fortunate to be in a family where we invested in computers early on. And, you know, I can go back to third grade when I wrote my first program and, and was just enamored with the technology. And I, I knew from the moment I first discovered my, my Apple IIc and my PS1 that I was going to have a, a future that was going to be you know, very much aligned with technology. And, and I just had a passion for the, the potential and a lot of curiosity around how it was all working and what was happening to make all of that so technology be able to do amazing things like what we would, what by today's standards, would be considered quite basic. And, you know, I just, I read everything. I started bulletin boards. So I was a sysop on a wildcat bulletin board systems, which is way, going way back in some of our technology lineage. And, and literally just tried to read everything I could to learn as much about how everything worked, always wanting to go to lower layers of, of things. And, you know, one of the first real marketable skills that I built was an understanding of OS2. And, and so I got my first job working on a help desk and really worked on trying to help, you know, users be productive and, and enjoyed the fact that people you know, needed help and you were able to come in and bring a skill set that they didn't have in order to help them get back to the productivity and the, doing their job that, that hopefully they enjoyed doing it. And, and from there, I, I just kind of hopped from what I, what I thought different interesting projects and efforts and, you know, went into electrical engineering and school and, and just sort of followed my passion every time I got to an intersection where I had to make a decision about my career. That's so nice. So in your first job, I'm sure, like you said, it was not with cybersecurity. So 
how did you find out about this and how did you even start in this specialized area yeah you know i did a lot of different things but security's really been a part of different roles for a long time and when i was early in my career i did a lot of development and got to know how to work on authentication and authorization systems and and wrote a lot of code in a language called code fusion in order to work with our new single sign on processes and and from there worked on in different acquisitions and you know about 50% of the work when you're doing M&A is really at the direction of of cybersecurity to get the new company that's being acquired or divested you know you want to make sure that you don't create security holes that lead to you know incidents or breaches in the future and so a lot of the work is around making sure that that cybersecurity posture is maintained and so picked up a lot of different skills and did a lot of cybersecurity stuff along the way later on as i got into more functional facing roles of doing things like rolling out ERPs and financial systems the application security became much more important and so i think throughout my career cybersecurity was always a significant aspect of the different roles and i took it seriously because i think it's something you know it's just it was always evident that security posture was going to be important but when it finally came to become my focus role I was actually researching a, a panel discussion that I was going to lead for a, a philanthropy I'm involved in called Technology United. And every year we run a CIO forum and, and we try to raise money to help, you know, really decrease the digital divide and make sure that kids in the Milwaukee area have the opportunity to discover technology. Well, I was running a panel and they said, "Hey, run a panel on cybersecurity." And I said, "Sure," but not really knowing how to lead that panel, I started doing a lot of research into what was happening. and and discovered what was really at the time probably about 3 years ago when ransomware as a service was really starting to become popular in in the criminal underworld if you will and i'm like something's changing here and got really interested in how we were going to face that new challenge and had the opportunity to talk to our CIO at the time and i was in two different roles i was a CIO for the Uscan region or US and Canada for GE healthcare as well as running a digital transformation on the supply chain and it was it was just getting to be a bit too much to carry both of those roles and so i talked to our cio and said that you know i really think i want to go into cybersecurity and he he pretended to fall out of his chair he's like what are you doing you know that's not that's not your career path why would you go into cybersecurity it's not that's not you and i'm like no i think it is and he's like okay think about it over the weekend and it, and if you still are convinced that you want to do this on monday we'll see what we can do and i was fortunate enough to have the you know the support of my leadership in order to make that transition and a couple of months later some opportunities presented themselves and conducted some interviews and was able to convince people that i would be able to to handle the workload you know when you were talking through you mentioned that you did a lot of research and reading up right as you were prepping for that panel discussion and later so what are the kind of stuff that you read john yeah i mean the the first thing i realized in in talking with people and i you know i had my i had an internal network and i had an external network and and certainly reached out to experts within the company i was working for in ge as as well as previous people and throughout my network and asked them about the roles and what sorts of things you had to get good at and i think the first thing i decided i needed to do was change my mindset and it is one of the things that is very different as you go from you know most it roles 
are about creating value for the company. Either you're trying to create more revenue or you're trying to increase margins with productivity or you're doing something for a compliance reason, be it socks or something else. And, and there's ways that you can lead your team that are very different than when you come over to cybersecurity, which is really a defensive mindset. You know, not to say you can take shortcuts, but you can prioritize things and feel pretty confident that if I, if I get these one or two things right, you know, my program will be successful. When you come over to cyber, you've got to have all your bases covered. You've got to be really careful that you don't forget about, you know, different areas of security. And so that mindset of being defensive was one of the first things that I, I worked on. And I did that through a lot of podcasts, to be honest. You know, I, I tried to get my hands every, on every recording of CISOs in the industry to understand how they thought through different problems and, and hearing the logic that they used, you know, things like CISO interviews and, and uh, those types of discussions, they start breaking down different news and how they reacted and different problems that they were facing and, and how they digested it. And, and it's a little bit different than you know, the CIO thinking on different challenges they face. So, so trying to understand those thought patterns and, and bring those into my own mindset was, was probably the first thing I did. From there, I really wanted to get a little bit more of an, an academic understanding and, and used some of the, the different certifications that are out there in order to learn, you know, a little bit more depth than, than I had in a lot of different areas and filling in some gaps. So I took the, you know, ISC squared has a, a very popular certification called the CISSP. Mm, and yes. I took that and, and, and really the, the studying for that helped a lot. You know, and while I knew identity or thought I knew, I, you know, identity management, you know, studying for it and getting into it and, and, you know, discovering how Kerberos actually works when you authenticate into an active directory domain and then you know, realizing that you don't really understand how that works and, and you know, you just kind of get into it and then you start researching it deeper and deeper. And, and the good thing is the cybersecurity community is a very giving community. And so there's a lot of information that people have just contributed for free. And so when you want, when you find a topic that you find interesting, and, and for me, you know, I spent weeks studying Kerberos for some reason, it was just interesting to kind of see how it all works. And just having the curiosity and a little bit of an engineering mindset to sort of tear that stuff apart and understand it deeply, it was a lot of fun. And you need to have some of that background knowledge. And then, you know, from there, I also try to talk with different industry leaders, external and internal, again, and start talking about some of the more pressing challenges that we were having. And, you know, lo and behold, a couple of years pass and you start having a pretty good foundation in order to really have that kind of cybersecurity mentality. Lovely. I just love the way you prepared for the role, John. Oh, thanks, Deepa. You know, it, it's a new role in a different area, but I should comment that, uh, you know, throughout my career, I've, I've switched areas every, probably every couple of years, but always staying with the same company. You know, you can only change so much at a time, but I think sometimes people don't take enough risks in their career. And, you know, you start developing, I have what I consider to be my own intellectual property, but I have a 30, 60, 90 day plan that I've been refining for the better part of 20 years. And so when I go into a new area, be it moving from infrastructure into, you know, data and, and, and analysis or, or moving from data and analysis into supporting sales and marketing teams or finance teams, or, you know, later on into supply chain, how you learn and, and trying to take over a new functional area is a really important skill, I think, for technology leaders, because 
a lot of the technology problems that we're facing uh, as we move things into the cloud and as we become more you know, SaaS oriented are, are being able to connect those dots. And you need to be able to see how all the different parts of the organization come together and be able to foresee some of the issues. And so learning all those different areas, I think really helps. See, this is one thing that I had in mind as you spoke about this. You're reading up for a new area, you're learning. So one thing I always struggle with is in any role, we actually say we need to figure out the least that we need to know to be successful and do well in that role because there's going to be so much that's new and you're always absorbing. So how do you balance the need to know more and the need to just get on with what we need to do in the role? I don't think either one of them ever stop, but uh-huh. you, need, you need to create your own feedback loops so that you're, you know when you're successful and, and, and when you, you know, didn't maybe, you know, a lot of times I think we take actions or do things that were okay. You know, this, this was okay, but it could have been a lot better. And I think the more you can shorten those feedback loops and, and have a very truthful conversation about, you know, your performance, the decisions that you're making, the, whether it be, you know, leadership type decisions or in the cybersecurity space, more technical decisions, having an accurate feedback loop, I think, is, is critically important. And, and so you, you go back and just say, you know, I need some adjustments here. And then using that to decide that that's where I want to go dig a little bit more because I think I could be a I could be a better leader I could be a better you know person frankly I could be a better parent you know those feedback loops I think are are really critical that's what I use you know I, I try to wrap up every week and just say hey how did things go and and if there was a particular area where I'm like you know I didn't feel real productive this week or you know, this certain meeting, I don't think I was as effective as I needed to be. I thought I, I thought I could get five things done in this meeting. And I really only got two. You know, what, why is that? Is it a, is it a skills gap? Is it is a leadership gap. What do I need to do to get, you know, more done the next time I'm in that situation? And, and using that feedback to help direct your own personal growth, I think is really critical. And so sometimes it might be just getting stuff done. And sometimes it might be, you know, retraining yourself. At the same time, you've got to get something done. You've got to be solving problems or <laughs> you're not going to be around very long. That's true. But yes, that's a nice summary. So when you look at, you know, enterprise security strategy for a organization, right? So talk to me a bit about what goes on to define it and how do you frame it? Yeah. Strategy can be a loaded word. It means different things to different people. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll answer it from the standpoint of, you know, what are we going to do? And in order to protect our employees, our systems, processes, and our data in the organization. And, you know, I think that starts by understanding what are the threats and who are the adversaries that would be going after that and whether it's, you know, someone who's trying to get monetary gain from exploiting or or leveraging some of our data or it's intellectual property that, you know, we, the company invested a lot to create that someone would maybe uh, like to borrow. You've got to think through those different priorities and different threats and threat actors and understand, you know, what are the real risks that you're trying to, to defend against? And, and from there, you can build out a, a, a profile and there's all kinds of buzzwords and different frameworks that come into that. And there are different tools and different techniques that, that you can go through. And, 
you know, most advanced or, or mature cybersecurity orgs are all, all doing the same sort of things. You need to put in the MFA for identity. Yeah, that's very clear. You need to have an EDR strategy. You need to have an identity and access management system. Some of those things, it becomes pretty clear what, what some of those activities are that you need to put out there. There are some choices within there. I think maintaining a coherent approach uh, so that your ultimate goal is that your users are following it. And so I think the key part of what, and what makes a cybersecurity strategy, what separates maybe a, a good one from a great one is you need a way to communicate it internally so that teams understand what we're trying to achieve and how we're trying to solve some of these problems so that everyone throughout the cybersecurity org kind of understands what it is that we're trying to do and how we're doing it. But likewise, you really need to make sure that the entire organization understands that as well. And so I have two PowerPoint slides that I usually share in as many of my meetings as I get. One that says, here's our cybersecurity strategy. And it just lists, you know, here are the things that we're, that we're dependent on. And here's our goals and how we're measuring our success across each of those different areas. And that just becomes an operational metric, but try and make it clear on how those tie together for my team. And then we have a playbook that we share externally. And that really boils it down to what do you, either someone who is in the technology space and like an IT organization, you know, what are the simple steps that they need to take in order to secure their applications and make sure that their developments and, and tools that they're building are secure? And then what do we need to communicate to our broader communities? You know, every person in an organization is really the key part of the cybersecurity strategy and making sure that they understand not just phishing attacks, but the need to use MFA in their, in their work life and their personal life. They're in multi-factor authentication. You know, there, there's data out there. So from Virginia Tech, they did a study that says that because our passwords have been compromised, your credentials, if you're in the cyber land, have been compromised so many times. I know mine, I've done searches and, you know, mine have been compromised like 55 times. Well, in today's era of technology, it's not too difficult to, to essentially build a, a data set that says, well, here are John's 55 different accounts and passwords. Let's put an AI algorithm against that. And then let's start anticipating what John's next password is going to be. And, and what they found was that about 33% of the time, a person's password can get, get, can get guessed within 10 attempts. <laughs> Well, and so you share those types of data points with people to say, this is why it's important that you, that you use this multi-factor authentication. You know, I want you to do it at work to protect, you know, the company. I also want you to do it in your personal life because your financials and your, your emotional well-being, the chances of you getting attacked or having your, your social media hacked, if you will, is much less if you do this. And being able to explain those types of actions and in, in, in ways that people really understand it, I think is just as important to a cybersecurity strategy as the actual tactical tools and techniques that you're using in, in order to defend the company. Yeah, can we take some examples of a couple of industries or then we can take healthcare where we are in and maybe talk through how some aspects would vary depending upon the nature of the business that we are in. Yeah. And you know, that's actually a, one of the harder areas of cybersecurity. My entire career has been in the healthcare space, but you know, we operate in over a hundred different countries 
you know, we have a lot of different business lines. And so trade-offs around security and, and you know, I'll, I'll say the, the one that I worry the most about is probably with engineering and, and looking at certain product lines and, and what should be that risk threshold and trying to decide when does, when should a business unit, you know, we call them strategic business units and other organizations, they're called profit and loss centers or P&Ls. You know, what are the decisions that they should be allowed to make from a risk standpoint and risk acceptance? And, and what are the absolute, you know, this is not acceptable. And, and no matter, you know, I'm going to enforce that, that you, can't, you can't take that risk because it's just too high. And as you look across, you know, in our, in our business, an area with digital where they're, they're creating new online products, you've got embedded devices who are running development environments with you know, con different concerns. And I think trying to get that balance right so that you can both enable the business to operate with speed while at the same time making sure that you're maintaining an acceptable level of security. Those are the really tough trade-offs and we face those every day. You know, one example I think everyone in security is facing is the user experience of how far do you carry your sign-on experience? And, you know, there have been recent attacks on multi-factor authentication, which I mentioned earlier, there are some new approaches to that because there's been something called MFA bombing, where someone can send multiple requests to someone's phone. And what they found is that people just get sick of getting the notification on their phone. They eventually just click and approve it. And so there are different thoughts and different ideas on how the industry should respond to that type of attack. And some of them can be pretty draconian. It might be difficult for our users. And I think those are the things that the community is facing. And what's that trade-off between ease of use and impact on the productivity of teams versus the ultimate security? You can take that from the security perspective. I've seen it go so hard at making sure that everything's ultimately secure that people wind up avoiding you and stop treating you as a trusted partner to discuss risk and start really just saying, look, this person's not going to take any risk. And, and as a result, they tend to avoid the important conversation about how to find the, the right balance there. So, you know, the key thing here is you need to be driving conversations with stakeholders on to help them understand the impact of the choices they are making or even you are making for security. So how do you drive those conversations? You, you said it exactly right, Deepa. And I think the key there is to make sure that you're using the right language with different parts of the organization and make sure that throughout the whole, the whole org that you're making cohesive decisions. And so it, it starts with the individual who's trying to do something and having the risk conversation with them and, and trying to explain here, here are the different pieces you're taking. And in some cases, it means aggregating some of those risks so that the leaders of the organization understand the, the cumulative effect of it. And I think that's the tricky part in making sure that you're communicating effectively throughout the whole org. It's making sure that you're arming the right people with the understanding of the risk that they're taking. I'll say, I think of a hierarchy of data. And one of the reasons I got into cyber was I wanted to have my own data and coming out of the supply chain in different areas, you know, I was running lots of analytics projects and I'm like, you know, in cyber, it's my data. I can act on it as I want. So I use a lot of our own data. And I think the highest quality data is, is the stuff generated within our own company. 
And so if I'm talking to a leader and they're making a decision that I think maybe they don't really understand the risk of, the, the most powerful thing I can say is, you know, we have seen this sort of thing in our environment. In fact, in your team, lead to the following outcomes. And that tends to get people's attention. And if you don't have that specific data, you know, there are other groups out there and everything from governments to, to private enterprises who publish a lot of reports and data. And, you know, certainly everyone looks at the Verizon data breach, you know, annual survey and highlighting those things to say, look, this is happening out there. This is how frequently it's happening. You know, we've been fortunate that it hasn't hit us yet, but this decision that we're making, that we are making here is opening us up to, to this specific area of concern and it has this risk. And so that's the way I try to frame it with that, with data, so that folks can then participate and say, look, I get it, but the cost to, to do what you're asking is going to be exorbitant. And as a result, we need to enter into this risky area. And depending on that risk, you know, we might do a formal risk acceptance, or we might do an exception depending on the, the level of thing. But I think formalizing that, when you get to the point that says, yes, I understand, you know, we aren't going to be able to do exactly what we want, but having a process that manages that is very helpful. See, one important factor for IT decisions is also cost, correct? Like you mentioned before. So how do you manage the investment needed for cybersecurity in terms of prioritization and what are the ways in which you approach that? Yeah, I wish I had a perfect answer on this one. What I can say from my approach there are certain things, I would say 80% of our adversaries out there, you kind of know their playbook. And if you aren't doing those things that defend against those attacks, you know, you're, you're putting yourself at grave risk. So I think those are non-negotiables, right? So you know, if you look at CISA, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Association, it's part of the U.S. government, and you look at their advisories, I, I did the math, I, I looked at it, I read every advisory, and, and I think it was like 83 or 87% said that you need to have a vulnerability management system, you know. So there are things like known vulnerabilities that that threat actors tend to exploit. There are things like MFA that people tend to exploit. So I think that part's easy, all right? You've got to defend against those things where, you know, global experts and people who live in, and breathe this stuff will say, you've got to have these sorts of systems. From there, it gets a little bit tough. And, you know, that's again, where I go back to data, starting with the data that we're seeing. And as we're seeing different threat actors in our space, we try and take a look at, you know, what is our data telling us that we need to defend against better? We take a look at those advisories and some of that external data. And then we also do hunts. And so we, as a cybersecurity team, will go out and, and try and think like a person who is trying to attack us and try and poke holes in different things. And we do penetration tests that are kind of like that. And then we have red team assessments that are also, you know, a little bit broader than a specific pen test. And, and we look at all those findings and use that to uncover where we need to get a little, a little bit better in some of those core areas and use that to help prioritize and, and capture the funding needed to get us to the security threshold. And I think that gets us, you know, that next 10 to 15%, that's pretty clear. 
you know, when you, when you come with data and you talk through those issues, we get support for funding to, to close those gaps. You're then getting into this kind of discretionary space that I, that I think is a real challenge. And there are lots of different thoughts out there on whether you should do quantitative or qualitative prioritization of risk and, and comparing that to what the, the bang for the buck is. I happen to believe that those are just very difficult approaches. And, and so I'm, I'm really into relative prioritization of risk. And, and that comes come from kind of a product management background. I don't have actuarial tables from insurance companies to say this risk is greater than that risk. But if you get a bunch of cybersecurity experts together and say, is this risk greater than that risk cumulatively, if we look at it and everyone says, yeah, you start getting kind of a bubble sort and you can, you know, some things rise to the top of, Hey, these are areas that we really got to go after. And then it's my job as a leader to, to build the business case based on that kind of finding from my team to say that, you know, we could action these couple of risks and really reduce a couple of these at a cost that is, you know, reasonable. And that's how we go through and do it. And, you know, recognizing that no security system is foolproof. And you can use the analogy of a home or a bank. And what you're trying to do is just delay the attack. You know, no bank is foolproof from getting robbed. You know, if you've got a person there dedicated to security, that helps. If you've got a vault, that helps. If you've got trained personnel, you know, that helps. At the end of the day, you can put as many vaults and as many controls in there as you want. If a highly determined adversary wants to get into that bank, they probably can. And your role in designing that security system is to just communicate, this is the level of attack that we are prepared to handle based on the investment levels that our business can support. And, and just saying, you know, I think we can spend a little bit of money and get a whole lot more secure here. I really recommend doing this and, and building the credibility that comes from that sort of interaction and truly allowing those P&L leaders to participate in that prioritization discussion is important. Now let's talk through some of the different roles that we have in cybersecurity, John, in terms of where you would start off with if you were in cybersecurity and what's the skills needed? And of course, what's your daily life like in that role? Yeah, it, you know, it's, uh, it's an area where I think every day is unique. I think that's the exciting part of all roles in IT. And there's, there's probably more similarities in cyber than people realize. You've got program activity, you've got business as usual activity, um, and you've got daily fires that are coming up. I'll say my day starts by reading our threat report. So every day I get an email of what sort of things that we've seen that went maybe bump in the night. And that's how I start my day. To, and it tends to tell me how many fires am I going to be chasing that day. From there, I think there's a lot of different roles that are in a, a cybersecurity team that, that feed different information through operational reports. And then I, I spend a lot of time mentoring and, and frankly, recruiting people. As far as the roles and different career paths, I think there is a very broad range of needs and different career paths in cyber. You know, we have people who have careers in resiliency and they, they you know, spend all of their time thinking through how to secure backups, how to make sure that, you know, our backups are resilient under attack. And, and that's an entire career path within the team. You know, I could tell that the way a person thought if they had been a programmer or not. And so you've got different IT leaders, all of whom are successful, some of whom have been programmers and some of them have not, 
But if someone has programmed, I think you can kind of tell. And there is something unique about someone who has spent time technically programming. And I think in cyber, people who've done incident response have a little bit of a different mindset and a little bit of a different skill on the way that they handle things. And so I think, you know, backgrounds in doing incident response are really helpful in a lot of different areas. Pen testing is a career in itself and, and being you know, a white hacker where you're able to go in and, and work through how you get into penetrate, you know, how you would be able to exploit weaknesses and systems. And that has a career path around it. Identity does. So there are a lot of different domains within cybersecurity where people can build careers. And I'll tell you, I've, I've seen careers that have, where people have moved between the different domains and where people have stayed within the domains, all of whom have been successful. The thing that changes as your, you know, as your span increases in cybersecurity, as it does in all areas of leadership, is your communication and people skills become much more important than some of your technical skills. And so as your careers progress, you've got to be able to communicate to the organization. You've got to be able to communicate to your organization what's important. That's an area where I think cybersecurity, because there's so much technology, and there's so much just to know. That is one thing that I've, that I've just been surprised at is the amount of knowledge that you just need to have is extreme in cyber. And so I think sometimes the industry is just figuring out how to invest in teams from a people leadership standpoint and how to develop those communication skills because they're not necessarily things that are exercised early on in, in your career. And so cyber's getting better at that. And those career paths are, are evolving. There's so many of them. I don't think there's a single approach to it. I think it starts with just raising your hand and not being too intimidated by a job posting and figuring out if you're interested in getting into it, figuring out that I think I can do this and convincing people that you can. That's a good summary. So John, you did briefly touch upon this, but I thought maybe we should go a little bit deeper on the kind of challenges that you face in cybersecurity in your role, as well as when you think of it from an organization standpoint? The challenges in cybersecurity, you know, it starts with making sure that you understand your risks and making sure that you, you've got a good process to understand what you're actually trying to defend against. And it's how you're communicating it to the organization, which is largely through metrics and helping to set up the right metrics so that they correlate at an appropriate level to different parts of the organization. And, and I think the biggest challenge that, that we face, you know, aside from just keeping our, our people processes and data safe, there are some unique things, I think, in cyber where the coverage that you need to have is, is never enough. And that's why I go back to that prioritization. You've got to be able to decide what is an acceptable level of risk and how you're going to measure yourself against that, both at a kind of at a daily level and then at a macro level to get back to, to our board of directors and others who are concerned about the enterprise risk. You know, there was a story that came out. I think it was even, a, I'm not even sure it was a real story. But I think it, it's, it's indicative of kind of what I think is the ultimate challenge in, in cyber, which is there was a story about a fish tank that someone put on their, their company's network and it was used to trickle data out of the organization. You know, I don't even think that actually happened. 
but people believed it because it's the kind of stuff that you see. And I'll tell you, you get trying to understand all the different moving pieces across trillions of bits and bytes traveling across the organization and all the different ways that could be exploited and trying to figure out, you know, how do I answer the question, are we safe? Which is ultimately, ultimately your role. And, and more you learn, the more you realize, oh, you know, yeah, this could be exploited. Oh, I don't even understand what that is, you know? And, and so I think that's the hardest challenge. And so with, within the cyberspace, I think making sure that you've got coverage, making sure you've got confidence in your team, knowing that your team has the mental capacity to take on a surge of work. And you've always got to be ready for a bad day and making sure that the mental health of the team is such that we're going to be able to respond, you know, that we're going to be able to take an impulse of work at any point in time. You always want to be preventative, but if your team is so stressed out about the preventative work that you're doing, you might not be able to be ready to respond to a serious issue. And so those are the things that, that I'm trying to always balance that I think are the biggest challenges out there. True. And what are the different ways in which you sensitize employees? Because like you said, they are the first line of defense too, in a way. So what are the things that you do or the organization does for that? There's a lot of industry practices around security awareness, and we certainly do a lot of that. And it's anti-phishing campaigns, it's awareness around privacy different GDPR, you know, other privacy rules and, and some of the regulatory pieces that we have, making sure people are aware of the data classification that they're using and the different controls that are out there. And, you know, we do a very thorough awareness campaign. The, the thing that I try to add to that, I think sometimes security folks are afraid to talk about the bad stuff that happens. And, as an industry, especially if you go back like 10 years ago, you, you see this now in some lawsuits that are coming up. People really tried to cover up a lot of the issues that were happening. And I don't think that was healthy. And, and so certainly internally, we're doing a lot to make sure that people understand what's really happening out there. And so as part of the awareness, we have formal awareness campaigns that go out to all the employees. But every time someone reaches out for help, Every time we have a meeting where someone has maybe an issue with some of the cybersecurity policies that we have out there or a decision that was made that maybe isn't exactly popular, I try to take advantage of every one of those opportunities as an awareness moment and really try and make, and make sure that that entire leadership chain understands, you know, maybe in a more contextualized, maybe something more specific to their organization understands what's really happening and using that to explain here, here's what we're seeing out there. Again, going back to that data, looking at our internal data and some of that external data and sharing that back with the users. Say, this isn't just some made up risk. This is happening every single day. And if, you know, the reason we're making this decision is because we're trying to defend against this risk. This risk is very real. Let me show you the data. And I find that people really appreciate that. And that's what drives kind of a little bit of a mentality shift. And, and I think we're feeling it in New York. You know, my happiest day of work, we were doing a retrospective last year and someone said, John, you know, the, the work in cyber has just gotten easier because it feels like the organization 
is, is just more aligned and understands what we're trying to do more. So, so our jobs have gotten easier. And, and that was the best, that was the best thing I could, I could have heard because that means that our awareness stuff is working. And I think a lot of it is sharing that data and, and taking advantage of those moments throughout the year, not necessarily just in, in the formal training, but informally so that key leaders and, and organizational influencers can understand things from the cyber perspective. Yeah. And that would have definitely been a nice moment, John. As we wrap up, what is the advice that you would give someone who's looking for a career in cybersecurity or in general to anyone in their personal lives, how they should think about cybersecurity? You know, certainly if you're looking for a career in cybersecurity, raise your hand and let people know. You know, I think you've got to be really curious. You've got to have some grit. There, a lot of them are roles where they can be fairly intense. But if you're interested in it, raise your hand and say something. And, you know, there are so many needs across cybersecurity. There are many roles in cyber that are similar to other IT roles. There are many highly specialized roles. So figuring out kind of where you think your first step could be is key in making sure that you can demonstrate that you can solve and you can add value in that role and being able to communicate here is how I could help add value to this role so that you can convince folks that, that you're the right candidate for that role is going to be important. But, but it starts with raising your hand. A lot of the job descriptions that are out there for roles in cyber say things that no single person can really ever achieve. And so making sure that you're not intimidated by some of those job descriptions and, and posting for some roles and taking some risks and, and preparing yourself. There is no other field in IT that I've been a part of where there is much of material out there for you to learn on your own as there is in cyber. If you go out and look on YouTube, if you look on LinkedIn, you go any almost any training site, you can find free training that will get you to a pretty good baseline of knowledge. And from there, you know, there are other more specific trainings that maybe you get into as you become a true practitioner. But there is a wealth of knowledge out there that you can gain on your own. And don't discount your experiences, if you've been in a technology field, don't discount some of those past experiences because they, they may help make you uh, a better communicator and, and help make you more influential as you're trying to drive cybersecurity programs. So yeah, there's a lot to learn about cyber, but there's a lot to learn about technology and some of that background is very useful. So I think it starts with just taking the risk to say that you want to you get into that. You know, you want to get into the space and picking an area that's going to be your first landing zone. That's nice, John. And I definitely learned a lot from this conversation. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Deepa. This was a great conversation and appreciate you having me on. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed our episode, do subscribe to the podcast and check out our show notes which provide more information on the topics discussed during the episode. Please follow us on LinkedIn at Through the Corporate Glass and on Twitter at Corporate Glass and share your thoughts. We'd love to hear from you. You can also check out our website, throughthecorporateglass.com. 